Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We were talking last night at our meeting, and I was talking about managing expectation. You know, we hear a lot about that. You know, it's really important that you manage your expectation. And I think what people mean a lot of times without saying it, I think what they're saying is don't get your hopes high. Right? Let's just manage our expectations. Let's make sure that we keep our hope on the low level. That way everything will exceed our expectations. Can I tell you that that is not the life that God has for you? I think for the believer, our expectations are not based upon how life is treating us or how the world is going on around us, but our expectations are based upon the promises of God. In Christ, the best way to manage our expectations is to invest 100% in the promises of God. That we do, that no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the bank account says, no matter what the, 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 the environment around you, no matter what your friends are saying or your family is saying, you believe something greater. You believe the promises of God. And you can take that to the bank. And even though payday isn't, isn't always on Friday, you know it's coming. So you can keep your hopes high. And Christmas is about hope because Christmas is about a promise. It's about the promise of Jesus. You know, there's over 7,487 uh, 7, promises. I didn't count them, but somebody else did that work for me. About 7,500 promises in Scripture from God towards man. Now, this is awesome because how many of you have ever made a promise And you didn't come through. I know I have. You know, Jesus said, let our yes be yes and our no be no. In other words, your yes needs to be your promise. That's why we always have to go, well, do you promise? Because our yes isn't good enough. So someone's always asking you if you promise. It's probably because they're insecure with you keeping your word. That was free. But this is the thing. You might not be so good about keeping promises. I'm definitely not very good at keeping my promises. But I can tell you what. We serve a God who comes through every single time. Every 7,500 promises that God makes, he comes through. That's what God does. He doesn't have the ability to fail. He doesn't have the ability to change his yes into a no. It is not in his DNA. It's not who he is. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, great passage of Scripture. By his divine power, God has given us Everything. Look at your neighbor and say, everything. Er, er, look at your other neighbor and say, everything. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, how many times do we sit around and go, man, I would serve God if, if I had a girlfriend. I would quit lusting if I had a girlfriend. No, probably, probably, probably get worse. It's being real. I would start tithing if I had more money. You don't get the cart before the horse. I would have a better attitude if I had a better job. No, no, no. God has given us everything. Everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. See, you have that power in you. To overcome, 
Because you know God. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. Big and valuable promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. These are the promises that that God gives you the ability to emulate him, to be like he is. And to escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. You know, when we talk about Christmas, Christmas is surrounded by this idea of expectation, isn't it? I mean, you guys are putting up Christmas decorations in July, right? Some of you are, you know, I, I, honestly, most of us think about Christmas most days of the year. I mean, it probably comes up, right? I mean, it's so ingrained in our culture. We all have this expectation building around this date on our calendar, December 25th. And when you're a kid, it's even more, right? You remember when you're a kid, like, it's, did I think about anything else other than Christmas when I was a kid? I remember thinking, like, every time I made a bad decision, if I was going to do something wrong, Santa Claus was watching. That's a little creepy. You know, the Santa Claus thing's a little creepy. Let's just be real. Like, this guy's watching me. Every day to see whether I'm good or bad. Weird. He doesn't know my name, right? He's got like a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. He's going to steal in your, break into your house and eat your cookies. <laughs> it's trippy, right? It's all good. It's all good. But I remember thinking, I better behave or Santa Claus. My mom would threaten me. I'll tell, write a letter to Santa Claus and tell him how bad you're acting. Anybody with me? That ever happened to you with your kid? Thinking, man, I better be good or I'm not going to, I'm going to get a bucket of coal for Christmas, right? And thank God that my mom was full of grace. And then when we get closer to Christmas, especially after Thanksgiving, let me say that again, especially after Thanksgiving, some of y'all are like, no, 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 Christmas prep starts in September. I know, I know. I know you, you got, but the day after Thanksgiving at the Brown House, let's just put it that way, at the Brown House is the day after Thanksgiving, we start gearing up for Christmas. We call this season that we gear up called Advent. How many of you ever heard Advent? Or you go buy an Advent calendar. It's like, usually it's 25 days. And what it is, is it's really supposed to start the first part of December. And Advent, the word Advent means coming or arrival. So the whole idea of Advent, the whole idea of the Christmas season and listening to songs, you know, and you change your playlist and all that, all that, that whole thing is built around one thing, expectation. What's going to happen on this day? When you're a kid, it's, what am I going to get? On your, when you're a parent, you go, how am I going to afford it? <laughs> your expectation shifts. But can I tell you today that the biblical narrative also is surrounded by expectation. There was a a Messiah that had been promised 4,000 years before he ever showed up on the scene. You've got to understand, the children of Israel lived, people of God lived for 4,000 years going, maybe this will be the day that the Messiah comes. Maybe this will be the day that he crushes the devil's head. 4,000 years of expectation. Over 300 and 50 prophecies 
that Jesus fulfilled on the edge of fulfillment. They're all waiting till this one day, this one moment. What do we call this expectation? We call expectation in Christ, we call it hope. Hope is not a desire or a wish. Hope is the joyful anticipation or the expectation of good. This is how waiting looks for promises. We don't go, but listen, you've got to get this. God is good. When you realize that God is good, you realize that your hope is a joyful anticipation of what is coming. If you question God's goodness, it won't be a joyful expectation. It'll be a hesitant expectation. This is a good way to, do you believe the goodness of God? Yeah, 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 I believe the goodness of God. And then you go through your mind throughout the week, throughout the day, throughout the year, and you go, well, if I do that, God's going to be upset at me. God's going to be mad at me. God's going to punish me. Right? God, why are you making me sick? God, why are you making me broke? God, why are you making me fat? Well, you're making me right? So hope. Christmas is really built around hope, around expectation. The Christmas story begins with expectation. Not the expectation that was in their hearts for thousands of years, but the expectation of a baby. And I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph. The Christmas narrative actually starts with Mary's aunt, a woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had a lot of failed expectations. See, Elizabeth was an old woman. Some historians have told us that she could have been in her 80s. Let's just say that's on the high end. An old woman, and you got to understand something. In biblical times, ancient times, heritage was everything. Now, Elizabeth's parents were from the line of Aaron, who was a priest. And she was married to this man named Zechariah, who was a priest. This old couple, been married probably 50, 60 years, live their life, go into the temple, Praying to God, believing God for a baby their whole life, the hope that they had for a child. This is where the story starts, not with pregnancy, but with a barrenness. Luke chapter 1. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They were living holy. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. How many know when you're, when you're unable to conceive and you're very old, that hope went away a long time ago. But they were godly and they were faithful. 
It says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. One day, one day, you know, it could be 80 years of bad days. It could be 80 years of unmet expectations. It can be 80 years of disappointments and poor doctor reports and broken bank accounts. But my God just needs one day. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. Now, he probably should have been retired, come on, at 80 years old. But he was a working man. And as was the custom of priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, you've got to understand something. Have you ever named babies? That's, that's a hard process. So God made it easy on them. He gave them a name. If you find out later in the story, everybody's frustrated because nobody in their family was named John. So everybody was mad at him except for God. God gave him the name. They were probably relieved. I mean, when you're 80 years old and pregnant, the last thing you want to think about is, what am I going to name this thing? Right? But God has heard his prayer. What was he praying? Well, I mean, as a priest, you know what he was praying for. He was, he was praying for the, the children of Israel. He was, he was interceding for the sins of his people. He was carrying out his priestly duties. He was praying for the promised Messiah, just like all the priests had done before him. They were praying, Lord, come. Lord, come. We await your coming. People outside were praying. He's praying. What was he praying? Well, I don't know about you, but a lot of times whenever I'm spending time praying for something that I know that I should be praying for, or someone said, hey, would you pray for this? I know a lot of times when I get into the presence of God, my desires start to come out. And no longer am I not just praying according to my list or what I'm supposed to be praying for. I start praying for what's on my heart. And he's praying. And he's praying all the things. He's doing his priestly duty. But I believe in that moment he was saying, God, I know it sounds silly. I mean, I know my wife's old. But she's outside praying and I'm in here praying. And I know it's probably a little too late to ask, but I would still like to have that son. I would still like to have that boy to carry my name, to seal my legacy. Because I'm old, God, and it dies with me. And I love that the angel says this. He has heard your prayer. This wasn't the first time Zach had prayed this. Come on. I mean, he had been praying this for decades. He had been praying for years. He had been praying for a, a dream that had passed away in his 20s and then his 30s and his 40s, he probably stopped praying for a little while because it seemed impossible. But maybe every once in a while he would kind of say, well, Lord, 
you know, I know it sounds silly, but wouldn't it be cool if? I love verse 25. It says, Elizabeth, his wife, says, how kind the Lord is. After all these years, God is kind, and he has taken away my disgrace. you got to understand, it was disgraceful for a woman not to have a child in these days. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Can you imagine? I mean, there's nobody that old in here, I don't think. You are, I'm glad you're here. But in expectation, remember this. In expectation... Know this. Let me help you manage your expectations today. Can I help you manage your expectations? Number one, know this. It's never too late for God. It's never. Look at your neighbor and you say, it's never too late for God. Now, come on now, you got to preach that to your neighbor. Now, you look at your neighbor and you say, it's never too late for God. Now, Liz and Zach, they probably were living years. I believe that they had to fight the bitterness. I believe that they had to fight anger towards God. And fight it, we know that they did because Scripture says they were righteous. So they weren't bitter. They might have been broken, but they weren't bitter. They weren't resentful. They maintained this purity of heart. And I believe, I believe with all my heart, that he was praying that day for a baby. As ridiculous as it sounds, apparently that's what he was praying for. An old man praying to have a son. Now, a young man prays that his sons will hurry up and grow up. I mean, I, I would not pray for a son right now in, at this season in my life. And Leslie's like, yep. You know, when, when Uriah was born, he was a surprise. We were going to have more. And, and Leslie said, uh, well, I won't go there. Leslie says, Leslie says, you want to have, you want to have, uh, guess what? Joel, she went and took the pregnancy test and she came and she laid down in bed. And she goes, well, I'm pregnant. I go, well, I'll go see a doctor. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> so when you're an old man, you pray. Well, I'm not old, but, you know, when you're a little older. But, you know, it's never too late for God. There you go, babe. <laughs> It's never too late for God. So do this. Just keep praying. Just keep believing. Just keep obeying. Just keep serving. Just stay faithful. You just stay faithful to God. You know what you got to do? You know what you got to do to see the promises of God unfold in your life? You know what you got to do? You just got to be faithful. You just got to show up. You just got to go to work. You just do what you're supposed to do. And that's what? Zeke did, or Zach, whatever you call him, Zeke, Zachariah, Zach, Zechariah, Zachariah. That's what Zach did every day for 60, 70 years. He showed up. He went to work. He was faithful. He was obedient. And he believed. Even though hope might have went away along, there was still a little bit in him to say, here I am, Lord. I know that I'm supposed to be praying for everything else, but, you know, this is really on my heart. One day, I 
love how that story starts. One day. Just takes one day for my God. When you're 80 and you're barren, you have lots of days, but it just takes one day for a promise to be fulfilled. So I tell you to that. I tell you to that. Don't grow weary. You know, weariness is something that grows. You don't, you don't get weary overnight. Right? You don't wake up and go, man, I'm weary. No, you get weary. And I love Galatians 6, 9. This is, a, this is a good one to put on your refrigerator. Or on your, we use markers on our bathroom mirror. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. We don't give up. So don't give up. Don't grow weary. Just stay faithful. Because my God is never late, and it's never too late for God. Number two, managing your expectations. Number two, God's promises are better than you think. You know, the thing I love about God is he loves to over-deliver. Now, his promises are good. Yeah, you've met people before, right, that they, the promises are high, but they always under-deliver? Uh, oh, yeah. That's why we talk about managing expectation. But see, with God, he always over-delivers. And maybe God would do that. Maybe. Lord, I'm going to ask. I mean, I'm 80 and everything, but will you give, will you give me a baby? All right, Lord, Messiah, come, right? The thing with, with God is he always over-delivers. His promises are always better than what you think. Check this out. God was saying when he, when he says this to Zechariah, he says, I'm not just going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a way-making child. I'm not just going to give you a child that will preserve your legacy. I'm going to give you a child that will prepare the way for the legacy of nations. I'm not just going to give you a baby to carry on your great name. I'm going to give you a baby to prepare the way for the Messiah. So you've been praying for the Messiah and you've been praying for your baby. Guess what? I'm going to give you a baby and he's going to set it up for the Messiah. Because my promises are always better than what you think. So you've been waiting 80 years. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but it's the right time. And one day is coming, and my promises are better. See, God's promises always speak of a greater promise. Because before John was preparing the way in the wilderness, he was preparing the way in the womb. This is what God says through the angel, to Zechariah that day, he says, you will have great joy and gladness, speaking of his child. And many, many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. 
Now he starts talking a little bit about a Nazarite vow, which we see with John the Baptist. He's a waymaker. If you're going to be a waymaker, you got to live above. You got to live to a different standard. You got to live above the norm. Come on. If you're going to be a waymaker, how many of you want to be a waymaker? So he says, listen. He's got to have a consecrated life. He's got to be different than everybody else. Every other Jew running around. Something's got to be different about this guy. So I'm going to fill him with the Spirit. And we see this later. When Mary shows up. This is about six months before Mary is overshadowed and, and uh, con- conceived. Then he says this, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And he will be a man with a spirit and the power of Elijah. What's he saying? He's going to be a prophet. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will call those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. The reality is this. The promise is not just for you. See, God's promises aren't just to make you happy or content. God's promises are to make the world better. So when God puts something in you, it's not just for you. It's for the world. So that's why it's not about you. So you don't need to stress out. When you think God's not coming through. Because the promise is bigger than you. The promise is better than you. God's got it under control because it's so much bigger. And sometimes the promise is waiting the right time. And if they would, listen, they could have had a normal baby. God could have performed a miracle in their 20s. And they could have had a miracle baby. Or they could have a miracle, miracle baby. They could have a miracle from a barren woman, and he could be the way maker for Jesus. We want it now. We want the promise now. And God's saying, I got a time for it. I got a timing. And we don't like, I don't like to talk about timing. Let's just be real. But God has a time. Because God has a plan. So get your eyes off you. The promise for you is for the world you're living in. Stop being so possessive about what God's promised you. God doesn't just give gifts to you. He gives gifts through you. So, number one, it's never too late for God. Number two, y'all all right today? Number two, God's promises are better than you think, and they're bigger than you think. And number three, promises are a way to process. Don't get bitter in the process. Don't get impatient during the process. Don't get angry during the process. Trust the Lord in the process. Don't trust the process. Trust the Lord. It it shows that Zechariah wasn't trusting the process. He was trusting the Lord because he went to the Lord. Right? Still. I mean, if he's trusting the process, he would have given up years ago. That process stops when you're that old. Maybe not for a man, but for a woman. A woman. A woman. All right. 
you got to understand. So God speaks this. He tells his wife. They get all excited. Well, before he communicates it with his wife while he's in there and he has the vision, he says, how can this be? Now, he's asking for it, and then God's like, okay, deal. Let's do it. Today's the day. Huh? How can this be? My wife's old. I'm old. They said, well, shut your mouth. And so for the next nine months, he couldn't speak. Then they go off into seclusion for months. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, they, they go into hiding for months. And this is where she meets Mary. We're going to talk about that next week. And they're, why? Why, why are they, why are they had a, can you imagine the kind of questions they're going to be getting? I mean, they're like 80 years old, and someone says, I mean, you guys are, I mean, we know you love one another, but, I mean, you're 80. And you're pregnant. You saw an angel. Weirdo. Let's not, let's not send them a welcome letter, right? God bless you. <laughs> oh, Zechariah's working the temple today. I'll go tomorrow. I mean, can you imagine the scrutiny that come along with the promise? There's a process. So the best thing to do is show up with a baby, not just telling everybody you're pregnant. The other thing, the reason why they separated themselves is because John was going to live a separated life. So they wanted to make sure they guarded his purity. It's a process. And sometimes the process is hard. Let's just be real. Sometimes when we know God's promised something, it's hard to wait on it. We want God to tell us, and then he's like, I want you to. 2010, uh, Leslie and I were tired been doing ministry together for a long time. We were in El Paso. We were wore out. We were exhausted. We were tired. And then we were, we were having some, because of that, we were having difficulties in our marriage. We were very unhealthy. And then we were fired from our job for 11 years. And we were hurting. Every, our whole world was attached to the church that we were part of. Other than some family. We are tired, fired, and hurting, man. It was a difficult season. We had Mariah and Judah. We thought we were done having kids. Why? Because we were tired. We are exhausted. About four months later, three, three to four months later, we moved to Amarillo, Texas, and uh, went on staff at an incredible, healthy church. A lot of vision. And uh, what we found there is something we hadn't had the whole time that we were married. We were, we, were, we were doing okay, but our marriage was unhealthy. We were godly. We were going to serve the Lord, but we were unhealthy. And so when we got there, the week that we got there, we got a, someone reached out to us and said, they were actually the people that were kind of candidates for the youth pastors. And they said, hey, we... We heard you guys are coming on staff. I mean, here's a couple that could have been mad at us and frustrated at us for taking their job. 
They said, we just, y'all have kids our age. Why don't y'all come over to our house and we'll have you guys over for dinner? Well, that ain't never happened. We had had kids. We, nobody ever invited us for dinner. We didn't really have, we had people that we raised up. We had disciples, but we didn't really just have people that were just friends. And so we went over there and we became best friends with these people and go to community group once a week. And man, I can tell you that during that season, God just made our marriage strong because we were in a healthy place. Because we were in the context of community. Not everybody was perfect. Church wasn't perfect. It was great, but it wasn't perfect. We weren't per- Nobody was perfect. We just got together. And we began to grow healthy. So we were there for six months, and we're laying on. We, we, were, we were living in this rent house. We were only in Amarillo for two years. We were in this rent house. We've been there for about six months. We started getting healthy physically. All this kind of stuff was happening. And uh, we're laying down in bed, and I told Leslie, I said, let's have more babies. So August, that year, a year, a year after we moved there, Leslie gets pregnant. And uh, we're so excited. You know, what are we going to name the baby? You know, all that, those of you that have had children, really excitement. And about that same time, I got pregnant with a dream for overflow. Now, it had been something that had been brewing in me for about four years at the time, four to five years. And uh, I came to Dallas to speak at Christ for the Nations. And when I was there, I walked out of a room, and God spoke to me very clearly about the Metroplex. And we had just had a house built. I mean, we had all this, you know, we thought we were going to be in Amarillo for five years. And I was like, okay, Lord, put it on the back burner. And about four more times throughout the next three months, I came to the Metroplex, and God continually reminded me. I didn't even tell Leslie because I was so, like, concerned how she would respond. Well, two months later, this is August, two months later in October, you know, we had had sonograms. We were going to have twins, all this. And we go in to the, Leslie was having some problems. We went into the doctor, and they did a, scan and they they looked and they saw that there were no heartbeats. There was no baby in the womb. This was on a Thursday and I remember going home. I didn't go back to the office. went home and Leslie laid down on the bed and she cried and I sat down on the floor and I hadn't cried or anything and I just sit there and I called my dad and I told him, I was like, dad, it sucks. And as soon as I told him that, I started crying. And, uh, you know, we were totally broken. And then that Sunday, this was on a Thursday, and that Sunday we had a a guy, a, a prophet at our church, and he preached on Sunday morning. And on Sunday night, they were gonna they were gonna minister, I think, to the leaders. And uh, so we go in. He didn't know anything about our situation. A few of our friends knew it wasn't really public. We didn't put it on Facebook. I don't think at that time. And uh, we go into this meeting. And I'm working media, so I'm in the back, and the guy, the guy tells Leslie, he says, stand up. So she stands up, and we're like, oh, yeah, here, come on, Lord. You know, we're just dealing with all this. And he says this very clearly. He says, the tragedy that has befallen you will not happen a second time. You will bear more children. He didn't know anything. So, man, Leslie's crying. I'm freaking out. I'm, I might have been crying. I don't know. Probably not. But everybody in the church is crying that knew, you know, they're freaking out. We're like, oh, Lord. You know, sometimes when you're going through a hard time, sometimes you just need a word from the Lord.
And I love that so much that at that moment that God gave us that word. Because we might have said, now nah, we're good. But God said that. You're going to have more children. This won't happen again. So that following May, we talked about the church. We were kind of at a place where we were planning on moving forward with the thing that God had put in our heart about overflow. And then in May of 2012, Leslie got pregnant again. We were laying on our bed. We had, just, we had had a house built. We were living in our house, laying in bed. We are so excited about being pregnant, and we remembered that word. This won't happen again. You're going to have more kids. And so we said, well, what are we going to name her? We knew it was going to be a girl. Remember? We didn't know, but we, we thought it was. We thought it was going to be a girl. We just In our heart, we knew. We didn't have any confirmation. And Leslie said, look, let's look up names that say God has promised. I was like, okay. So we backwards searched the name. The meaning of names are important, by the way. You should name your kids a good a name that means something good. You know, you don't want to name them something like the devil has his way or. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You want to be careful what you call them every day. <laughs> All right, let me get back to this. Yeah. So we're laying in bed with a with a promise on our belly. We backward search this name and 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 Leslie finds the name Elizabeth. And the name Elizabeth means God is my oath. God is my promise. And we saw this name that was derived from that right there that said Elisa. God has promised. That's it. We're having a girl. We knew it. We didn't have a sonogram. Nothing told us it was a girl. We knew at that moment that what was inside her belly was a promise of God. And so the next couple of months, with a dream in our heart and a baby in our belly, we moved to the Metroplex. We said, we're going we're gonna to plant this church. We're going to do what God's called us to do. With a dream in our heart and a baby in the belly, believing God keeps his promises. You know, there's always an Elizabeth in the story of promise. Come on. For us, it was... It was crazy, the timing, because it was exactly like we look at Elisa now and we're like, this is the age of our church. If we get frustrated about church, we just look at Elisa and go, well, our church is just a toddler. We're going to run into walls. We're not, we're not going to be able to stay comfortable, right? We'll still have to wipe butts. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's the way it is. So every time we look at that little girl, we see the goodness of God. God has promised. I remember, man, when she was born, I remember laying there in our living room. She was our biggest baby, you know. She was huge. Huge. So she's laying there. Eight pounds. 
laying on my chest on the couch, an eight-pound promise, but it was a process. You know, there's another name in this story. Zechariah. You know what Zechariah means? You know what it means. It means God remembers. God remembers his promises. God remembers. Isn't it interesting that God used a woman whose name means God promises and a man that means God remembers. Can I tell you, God remembers. The Christmas story is all about this. It starts with this narrative. God remembers his promises. And he remembers what he said. He has not forgot that dream that he's put in your heart. He has not forgot that word that he spoke to you. God has not forgotten. He has not forgot you. He is good. He loves you. His desires for you are good. His intention for you is good. He's not frustrated at you. He's not irritated by your constant prayers. He is a God who remembers, and he remembers his promises. And I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. God can be trusted to keep his promises. God is faithful. God remembers. God keeps his promises.